It is so good to be with you back in person tonight. Uh, thank you for your patience. I've been out of town the past couple of weeks and uh, very excited to continue Jonah. I want to remind you tonight that you can uh, give your offering on the way out or online as you always do or through text giving. Remind you of that. I would, um, I would love to be able to take the time to go and to recap everything that we've discussed the past couple of weeks in the book of Jonah, uh, but there is just absolutely no way that we can do that. And so I would implore you, please, if you haven't been able to be here and if you haven't been able to watch online, find us on YouTube. Um, you can get caught up. I think the Lord, I mean, there is just so much. The book is only four chapters long, but I could preach on this thing for like 14, 15, 16 weeks. Um, I'm not going to. I'm just saying I could. Um, but anyway, I just think there's so much good teaching online. Our Wednesday night Bible studies, if you've never been here on Wednesdays, like Pastor Series, he started on the life of Moses. Amazing stuff. And so we just want to encourage you to uh, check it out. But uh, tonight, to kind of catch us up to, to where we're picking up in Jonah chapter 2, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and, and turn over there. But uh, just to catch you up, we know, uh, most of us know the uh, storyline for the book of Jonah. We know that Jonah is a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel, and God comes to him one day and he tells Jonah, he calls him to go preach repentance and mercy to the Ninevites. Uh, we know that Jonah rejects that call and he literally goes in the opposite direction of where the Lord's calling him to go. The Bible says that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, and Jonah goes to a place down in Joppa. He gets on a ship and he sails in the opposite direction. The Bible says that the Lord sends a great storm on the sea and the boat is about to tear apart. And Jonah ultimately convinces the sailors that it's his fault. He admits to them, I have been rebelling against the Lord. I'm, I'm running from the presence of the Lord. After a little bit of discussion, they decide that the only way to calm the storm is to get this guy off the ship. And so they collectively, they take Jonah and they heave him overboard and instantly the storm stops. And last week we ended with Jonah chapter one, and which is actually the same place that we're going to pick up where Jonah is in the ocean and all of a sudden the Bible says that he is swallowed by a fish. We're going to start in the last verse of chapter one tonight, and we're going to go to the last verse of, of chapter two. But uh, just to give you a summation, if you've never, you know, if you're not familiar with church or especially the book of Jonah or never read it, never heard the story, um, I want to give you a quick little summation. I heard another pastor say this, so I'm not taking credit for it, but uh, he said that the book of Jonah, which leads us to the point we're at tonight, can be summed up real simply with, with this understanding that there was a prophet and God spoke to him and said, I want you to go. The prophet said, no, but the Lord said, oh, and that is exactly where we find ourselves tonight, where God has been challenged and God has risen to the challenge. And we pick up here in chapter 17 of verse one, you can follow along on the screen or uh, if you have your notes tonight, the Bible says this, it says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. 
You hurled me into the deeps, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Bible says, notice the bookends here. At the beginning, we see a fish swallow Jonah. And then here at the bookend, the Bible says, and then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Now, before we even get into what we're going to discuss tonight, I want to um, emphatically and clearly say that I reject the idea that Jonah, the events in Jonah's life are simply a parable or a story or a myth that were created for us just to teach us some, some life lessons, some Christian lessons. I, I want to make it clear, I reject that notion. I do not think that the fish is just like this simple metaphor. You know what a metaphor is? A metaphor is, is it's calling something something it's not. Does that make sense? And, and there are a lot of people that say, well, the fish is just a metaphor. The fish didn't really exist. Um, but the reality is, is that um, we do believe that, that certain metaphors can be actual and used as metaphors, right? So um, we, we think about children. Uh, if you have ever had children or grandchildren, or maybe if you were a kid, uh, you know, after a long day, uh, one spouse may come home, the other spouse may say, man, the kids were animals today, right? Now, that doesn't literally mean that the kids were animals, Okay, it is a metaphor, but the kids actually exist. Okay, they are actually real. And so it is, it is true in the book of Jonah um, that these events are historical. We believe uh, not that we have to qualify this by any stretch of the, the imagination, um, but there have been instances in 1891, I was reading a few years ago about uh, a man off the coast of New England in, in the late 1800s, and he was fishing with a group of sailors. He somehow got thrown off the boat. The fishermen, the other fishermen there, they said that he was swallowed by a whale, and they thought that he was dead and he was eaten, so they went out, they set out to track down this fish. They ended up tracking down, it was a, um, a blue whale, I believe it was. They ended up harpooning the whale, they got it back on shore, they cut it open, and the man was still alive inside. His name was James Bartle. Okay, this, this is, you can look this up and, and read. So, not that we have to qualify this stuff in the scripture, but I'm saying that there are a lot of things in scripture that, that they may seem impractical or they may even seem very unlikely, but it doesn't mean they're impossible, okay? But I'll go a step further and say this. I will say that if, if it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around a book like Jonah, where a, where a human being is swallowed by a fish and he is able to survive for three days and then be vomited out and continue on with his life. If it's difficult for us to grasp something like that in scripture, 
it is going to be impossible for us to grasp something like the virgin birth, right? Or the bodily resurrection of Christ. How can we embrace something so extravagant and so profound as the bodily resurrection of Jesus, but not believe that a man can survive in the belly of a fish for three days. And so um, there, there, are some, uh, there are some things that we really need to get our, our, our mind around in order to really get to this place where we understand what's going on. The Bible is, is a truly practical and very real book, but the Bible is also a very supernatural book. And supernatural activity happens all through the scripture. And there are times where we see things that look incredibly unlikely, but this is where faith kicks in. The scriptures declare that without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. I don't believe that we should be a people of blind faith. I think that we should be people of intelligent faith and we should do research and we should have evidences and proofs of God and the existence of God. But at the same time, there always comes a point where faith has to kick in and we just simply have to believe because it's written. And so tonight, I wanted to kind of get that out of the way. I focused a little bit, uh, probably too much on that in week one, but I felt like it was worthy enough to repeat. And I simply um, want to say that because even though I do not believe that the fish is just a metaphor, I do not believe that the fish is a simple metaphor, tonight I will be using the fish as a metaphor. Okay, so I'm not contradicting myself. The both can coexist. Um, it is not just a simple metaphor. We believe that it actually happened. But tonight we are going to talk about the fish being in, in what Jonah called the pit. And so we'll refer to that. When we talk about the pit and the belly of the well and stuff like that, tonight when we start to talk about our lives and the interactions that we have and pits that we fall into and stuff, um, that, that will represent difficulties that come about in life and different things like that. So I just want to make it clear that I'm, I'm not going to be contradicting myself, but we are going to uh, be talking about Jonah and his prayer uh, from the pit tonight. Before we get there, I wanted to explore a little bit the sovereignty of God that we see unfold in the book of Jonah. Uh, throughout Jonah, you just see time and time and time again where the Bible says that the Lord appointed this and the Lord appointed that and the Lord appointed him and the Lord appointed this thing. You see it over and over again, this term where God is intervening in human history to do something that accomplishes his ultimate purpose. And so we see the intervention of God uh, all throughout Scripture. Um, we at Christian Life, we embrace what we call a, a spiritual mystery and that we believe in what we call the, the utter sovereignty of God. We believe that God is completely in control of all things. Nothing passes through um, without God's permission, without his understanding, uh, without his knowledge, nothing does that. But we also understand that human choice is coupled with the sovereignty of God. And so although God is sovereign over all things, that the choices I make lead to certain paths, and then God may intervene in those paths to make sure that his purposes are accomplished, but it is, it is definitely a mystery. And so Tonight, as we talk about the sovereignty of God, um, I, I want to give you just a very simplistic illustration of what I mean when I say the sovereignty of God. Um, in, in Christianity, you have a couple of different trains of thought when it comes to the sovereign nature of God. 
One of those trains of thought, uh, most likely in, in like the reform communities, there's this understanding of the sovereignty of God, which when they say sovereignty, what they mean is that God has written a script and all of humanity and creation for that matter will follow the script that God has pre-written whether they want to or not. In other words, we, we have no choice in the matter. Human, human will does not even come into the picture. It is very much a script theology that God has written it. We have no choice into it. It is ultimately a type of determinism that God has determined what is going to happen and we have no say about it, okay? We at Christian Life, we do not embrace that theology. We don't, we don't think that is right. What we believe is what I call a ship theology, okay? You got a script theology and then a ship theology. And this is what I mean by that. We believe that it's as if all of creation is in this enormous ship, okay? And the ship has left the port and it is going from point A to point B in God's ultimate purposes and God's ultimate plan. But along the way, there's a lot of things that happen inside the ship that God may not be on board with. Does that make sense? There are some things that are going to happen on the ship that God does not want to happen. And so the ship may get off course from time to time, but in God's sovereign nature, he chooses to intervene in the ship and write its path so that ultimately the ship can go where the ship needs to be. Does that make sense? So it's this idea that humanity does have this choice in, in certain matters, but ultimately that God is going to kind of guide and direct to make sure that his ultimate purposes are fulfilled. And so we see God exercise this right and this power over creation at different times, right? All throughout the Bible, we see um, God uh, appoint people at different times, or uh, probably a better way to say this is that God selects or... Um, God calls certain people to do certain things. We definitely see this in Jonah, okay? God appoints Jonah that he is going to go and preach to the Ninevites, but Jonah rebels, and so God has to intervene to make sure that Jonah does what God wants him to do so that God's ultimate purposes are served. It's the ship theology. Jonah decided to go this way, and the Lord said, no, we need to go this way, okay? Um, we see this in the life of Esther. Uh, Mordecai, Esther's uncle, said, it may just be that the Lord has appointed you to live for such a time as this right? John the Baptist, his life clearly was appointed from thousands of years beforehand. Jesus's life was clearly appointed. In your life, you see people appointed in, in your world, right? I can't tell you how many incredible mentors, um, fathers, and pastors that God has chosen to be a part of my life and my journey, and I'm so incredibly thankful for that. God has selected them. Now, they could have rebelled and done what they wanted to, but they submitted to the call of God, and they were a part of the appointment, and so, therefore, they had influence um, in my life. You see this in the book of Jonah, right? You see the sailors are on the ship with Jonah. Jonah is not doing what the Lord has for, for him, and so the sailors pick up Jonah, and they throw Jonah into the ocean, right, into the raging sea, he says. But what's fascinating about this is that although at that moment the sailors did not know the Lord, the Lord had still appointed them to throw Jonah overboard, right? And so Jonah 
He understood the sovereign hand of God because he was literally physically picked up by the sailors. They threw him into the raging sea. But when Jonah prays his prayer, this is what he says. Notice he doesn't say, the sailors hurled me into the seas. No, he says, but Lord, you hurled me into the seas. And what Jonah was saying is he was saying, look, I know that a person threw me into the seas, but ultimately this was the hand of God. And in the very same way, God appoints us into people's lives to serve certain purposes, and God appoints certain people in our lives to serve uh, certain purposes. Secondly, we see God uh, sovereignly do things in nature. In the book of Jonah, we see the Bible says that God is the one that hurled the storm onto the sea. So God caused the storm to happen. Jonah says that, Lord, it was your waves that overcame me, right? Later in the book of Jonah, in a, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to hear about this plant. Jonah's like pouting. He's mad about God's mercy and everything. And so he goes and sits down. And the Bible says, and the Lord appointed a plant to grow right, to give uh, Jonah shade. And so we see the unfolding of, of God's sovereignty all throughout scriptures. You see droughts that happen that God initiated. You see famines that happen that God initiated. We see all these things unfold. But can I tell you one of the most fascinating things that we see when it comes to God's sovereignty? You wanna, you wanna do a fascinating book study or Bible study uh, on a particular topic? Check out how many times God sovereignly uses the animal kingdom to accomplish his purposes. Here in the book of Jonah, right? You've got this well, you know, he's just floating around, doesn't know what's going on, just the Mediterranean is his home. And all of a sudden, the voice of the Lord comes to the fish. And he says, fish, I want you to go to these coordinates and I want you to swallow this man. Don't chew, just swallow, right? And so the fish goes and he swallows Jonah. And then when the Lord speaks again, the fish then vomits out Jonah, right? I mean, think about this all through scripture. In Noah's ark, right? Noah, the Bible says that, that every kind of animal, two by two, they all came to the ark, right? This wasn't, this wasn't Noah out summoning the animals, Right? He's like, listen, we need the tigers, the lions, and the bears. Right? He wasn't summoning these creatures. He wasn't looking around saying, where are the turtles? You know, this wasn't what Noah was doing. God was speaking to these animals, and they were obedient to the voice of God. In the plagues of Moses in uh, the, the nation of Egypt, uh, Moses, when he calls the, the lice and the gnats and the frogs and all these things, it is not Moses going to the Hebrews saying, hey, fellas, listen, we got to go round up these insects and make sure they go to the right place. It was the sovereign voice of God that appointed these animals to do what they were told to do, and they were obedient. In Elijah's, in Elijah's life, you see, right, Elijah's walking down the road, and apparently he doesn't have any hair, and this group of boys start making fun of him and calling him baldy and all kind of stuff like this. And all of a sudden the Bible says that Elijah called down a curse and two female bears come out and destroyed the lives of all these boys that are making fun of him, right? Two female bears. The Bible is very specific to recognize that they are, they are mama bears, right? They come out not in response to Elijah, 
but they come out in response to the voice of the Lord and they're obedient to it. Elijah uh, also, he's, you know, he's, he's by the ravine, he's by the brook and all of a sudden these birds start like dropping off food to him, right? It's not because Elijah summoned them, it's because the birds were obedient to the voice of the Lord. And so it is, it is really profound how intricate and intimate the Lord is in, in so many levels of creation. But the important thing to understand about all this, when God chooses to intervene in these things, it, it's important to understand they're not just random interactions, okay? They, they are leading to moments for individuals. God is always incredibly purposeful when he intervenes in the world. At my house, if you're a dad or maybe even a mom, you can probably relate to this, but in our kitchen at our house, we have this uh, mini basketball goal. It's like a Nerf basketball goal, you know? And my kids used to play all the time. And um, every now and then, you know, I would just, when they were shooting the long shot, I would just walk by and, you know, hit the ball out of there and block the shot and whatever, and maybe take the ball and throw it or whatever. It was just very random and, and honestly kind of irritating them, letting them know that I can always beat them in basketball. But the point is, is that that is not the MO of the Lord. That is not his, that is not his way to just randomly roll the dice and say, I don't know, what do I want to do with Joe today? Let's see. And he, that is not the way of the Lord. He is not about random interaction. It is always incredibly purposeful so that he can uh, fulfill the purposes of God in his life. I want you to think for a moment about the way that you ultimately came to Christ as a believer. Think about the circumstances and the conversations and the interactions and the situations that had to take place. And I want you to think about these things and how not just one moment in time lineup, but how for probably months, for some of us, years of events and people that sovereignly came into our life. And oftentimes it seemed like it was just at the right moment that this person stepped in and said what they said. It was at that right moment that I got a phone call. Right? It was at that moment when chaos was hitting the ceiling that somebody invited me to church or they asked if I could pray. This is the sovereign hand of God as he is moving us as individuals, but also his kingdom to fulfill his purposes. Right? So God is, is very intimately and, and intricately involved in, in his creative order. He is sovereign over all these things. Okay, So it's important to understand that because as you read through the book of Jonah, it can almost seem like every single thing that happens, God is doing because he's appointing so many things. But what we find is that it's not the case that God is doing every single thing, but what we do see is the hand of the Lord shaping and maneuvering and making sure that everything ultimately gets to where it needs to go. And we see that fulfilled not only in Jonah to the Ninevites, but we see that in the life of the sailors. We, we find that the sailors who we, you know, we talked about in week one, they were pagan sailors. They had idols, they worshiped false gods. But ultimately through the series of events, they ultimately made a vow and sacrifices to the Lord. And so God had a purpose and a plan for them as well. So with all of that out of the way, let's get to what we really wanna focus on tonight and what we are gonna call the pit of Jonah. Okay, now remember, anytime I refer to the pit, it's because Jonas in the belly of the well, he said, I am in this pit, Lord, you pulled me up um, out of this pit. 
Now, here's one thing I know about difficulty and frustration in our lives. I understand that they are oftentimes, uh, they look different and they oftentimes are caused by different reasons. Okay, so tonight what I want to do in the, in the last uh, few minutes that we have together is I want to go through and I want to talk about what causes pits, like, like if we cause pits or God causes, I want to talk about what causes pits. I want to talk about what we are to do when we find ourselves in that pit. And then ultimately I want to talk about why does God even allow pits for his children who are believers. And so tonight we're going to uh, tackle in real quick um, what causes pits. Are you guys good? You with me? Okay. So here we go. Number one, oftentimes as much as I hate to admit this, I have found in my experience that a lot of the pits that I find myself in are dug by me. Jonah was in a pit because of Jonah. David found himself in a pit because of his choices with Bathsheba and her husband. Sometimes we find ourselves in certain difficult, frustrating moments in our lives that sometimes it feels like we can't get out of. And honestly, when we're really brutally honest about it, when we look at the situation with, with an honest lens, we realize that we would not be in that situation if it wasn't because of me, right? And so I know that I have made a lot of dumb decisions in life, right? I have made uh, a lot of dumb decisions. I don't want to talk about those tonight. I want to talk about some of my wife's bad decisions tonight. Um, no, I'm kidding. We, you know, I, I, I've told this story before, so she knows it's, it's fine. But uh, years ago, when my wife and I, we got engaged. We went down to Lakeland because we had some friends that were there and we, we got engaged in this, this huge prayer tower that overlooked the lakes. It was beautiful, it was majestic. I was awesome for it. And um, we got in the vehicle and, and we started to head back home. And we got um, from I, Interstate 4 to Interstate 10 because we lived in, in the Pensacola area at the time. So we had like five hours of driving on Interstate 10. And I had an Acura Integra at the time. This is 1999, okay? Acura Integra, if you don't know, it was a sports car. Okay, and so my wife and I get in this vehicle and at a certain point she said, why don't you let me drive and you can sleep? And I said, that's amazing, that's great. As we're driving in the car, you ever been asleep in the car and when the momentum changes, you kind of wake up? And I noticed all of a sudden we were stopping very abruptly, right? And I said, I said what's going on? And, I, and she said, oh no. And I look back, there's a police officer behind us. Cop pulls up to the door. He says, ma'am, it looks like you're in a hurry. Do you realize how fast you were going? And she said, no, I, I just, I, I didn't realize. He said, well, the speed limit is 70. And from my clocking of you, it looks like you were doing 101 in a 70, right? And, um, and um, she, she went on to say, and I was just, my mind was, I was like, what are you doing? My life is in your hands. And, and so I look at her and she doesn't have anything to say, but she looks at the police officer and she says this, we just got engaged and I was so excited to get home and tell my mom and to share, show her the ring and all this stuff. And the cop said, that is so awesome. Congratulations, here's your ticket, right? And uh, $400 ticket. But here's the thing, here's the thing. My wife had made a really poor decision in that moment, okay? But this is one thing I know about that. My wife in that moment might have prayed and said, Father, I should not have done this really, really dumb thing, right? And in that moment, the forgiveness of Christ cleanses her, right? As you confess your, your sins, you're, you're, you're washed. So in that moment, she is forgiven, but just because she is forgiven does not mean she doesn't face consequences, 
right? And so oftentimes when we find ourselves in very difficult, frustrating situations that are made by us, we can always trust the Lord to forgive us, but we still may have to pay the ticket, right? We can't blame God for bad decisions that we make, right? And so when we find ourselves in situations like this, one of the best things that we could ever do without belaboring this, one of the best things that we can do is just simply own it, own the situation. Ask for forgiveness, face the consequences, move on. Number two is this, sometimes the pit that we find ourselves in is caused by other people. Daniel is, finds himself in the pit of a lion's den, Right? Oh, you talk about angelic intervention again with animals, God supremely telling them to shut the mouths of the lions. It's another example. Daniel finds himself in, in a pit, a literal pit with lions because three men felt super insecure about the influence that Daniel carried in the kingdom. And so they set him up. Joseph, on another hand, he is an incredible man of God. He is full of integrity and his boss's wife, wants to have sex with him, and he refuses again and again and again. And ultimately, he runs from her sight. She feels so dejected and so rejected that she frames him for rape, and he literally finds himself in a literal pit for years, and it's not even his fault, right? And so sometimes we will find ourselves in frustrating situations because of somebody else. Think about the sailors, the sailors have thrown their livelihood overboard. The sailors, the boat is sinking, their lives are in danger, but it's not because of anything that they've done. It's all because of what Jonah has done, or furthermore, what Jonah has not done in being obedient to the Lord. And so sometimes we find ourselves in situations, and I'm not gonna talk about this a lot, but let me just say this. If we find ourselves in situations like this that are, that are incredibly frustrating, often because there is an individual in our life that continually puts us in difficult situations, it may be time to throw them off the ship. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so it's important that we not allow people to continuously, I'm not, I know this doesn't sound very pastoral, but I'm saying we need to be a people that are wise in the people that we allow to influence and affect our lives, especially if we have children. It is so important that we be wise in who we allow access into our realm to make sure that we are not suffering their consequences. Number three, the pit is sometimes caused just by life. Blind Bartimaeus, the 10 lepers, covid I was uh, talking this morning, we got family in, in the Pensacola area and they were just getting hammered today by the, by the storm. And um, we had, uh, my mother-in-law called and she was talking about another family member. They get all of their income from cotton fields. Cotton fields, just acres and acres of cotton fields. And they had scheduled tomorrow to harvest the cotton fields. And this morning, not a cotton grain was left, right? Was that because he had done anything wrong? Is it because somebody else didn't think? No, it wasn't anything like that. Sometimes life just happens and we suffer through life because we live in such a broken world. Number four is sometimes we find ourselves in bad situations or pits because they are caused by the devil, right? Now this is an easy cop-out, okay? But we should never just lean automatically in that direction. But we do see this happen in the life of Job. Job, he is, God gives Satan access to attack Job. We see in the writings of Paul, 
Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We make war against principalities and dark things and dark places. Paul, Paul recognizes the demonic realm. Jesus finds himself in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan, right? It wasn't because Jesus had done anything wrong or anybody else had done anything wrong. It was an attack of the enemy. And so Jesus had to figure out how to dig his way out of the pit. And number five, finally, is that sometimes the pit is caused by God. Some of the most frightening words in all of the Bible are found in Genesis 22. The Bible just simply says this, and God tested Abraham. And God tested Abraham. It gives no qualification. And say, well, God tested Abraham because he was acting like a moron, right? He shouldn't have done this thing with his wife and his hand. No, I'm going to tell you. No, it gives no qualification. It just says uh, he looked on Abraham who was a righteous and a holy man and God thought, I'm going to test him, right? And so sometimes we enter in moments of our lives that are frustrating, but sometimes it is because the Lord is testing us. And let me just say this. Although different things in life cause uh, difficult times and frustrations to amount, it is so important that we never forget that all things are filtered through the fingers of our Father in heaven. The Father does not allow anything without his permission. There is nothing that happens on the watch of God without going through his approval process. So everything that happens to us, now don't misunderstand, that doesn't mean that God caused these things necessarily, but God allowed these things. And the question of why we'll get to in a few minutes, but I will just say this for now, that God will never allow something that ultimately is not for our betterment, even if it doesn't feel like our betterment in the moment. Right, And so these are some causes um, of, of pits that we suffer through. Um, but right now, let's talk about the five things that Jonah does when he finds himself in the pit. The, the five things that he does, the prayer that he prays in order to bring himself out of the pit. The first thing that he does is this, is that when he is in the pit, he reflects on his situation. We see Jonah just rehearsing, rehashing everything that has gone on through the, the past few days. And so when we find ourselves in situations like this, it's important to ask some really difficult questions of ourselves. Like the first question should be, why am I in the situation I'm in, right? If I don't properly diagnose the situation, I may try to fix the situation in ways that it should not be trying to be fixed, right? So for example, I may have done something really ignorant and dumb and dug a pit for myself, but if I'm constantly blaming it on an attack of the devil, I'm not really accomplishing anything because I'm not learning anything, right? So we've gotta be a people that give an honest evaluation, we reflect on the situation. Sometimes that means I gotta ask other people from the outside looking in to speak into my life if I'm not seeing things clearly. Sometimes it means I've got to go to a close, trusted, guarded friend and say, listen, I need you to speak. Am I wrong in this situation? And if I am wrong, just please tell me for the love of heaven because I wanna learn, I wanna grow from this. Second thing that we find in Jonah is that when he is in the pit, he repents of his sin. Obviously, if there's sin involved, we need to be quick to repent. Number three, and I wanna camp out here just for a few minutes, is that when I find myself in a pit, I must remember the scriptures, okay? 
Jonah prays nine sentences. He prays nine sentences. And in those nine sentences, he references no less than 11 verses of Scripture. I've listened to your notes. I put like 14 in your notes. There's, there's like 30 or 40, but definitely no less than 11 different times in nine sentences. Jonah's entire prayer is this mixture of, of raw emotion and the Word of God that have culminated in a moment. There's something deep inside of Jonah. And when the pressure comes on, what is in us comes out of us. And though Jonah was a running, rebellious, prodigal prophet, right, there was still the word of God buried so deeply in him that when his life he felt like was ending, when he was being crushed, the word of the Lord began to come out of him. And so I want to say something just, just really quickly. And there is no way in heaven I'm going to have time to finish all of our notes, so we'll get to it another time. I want to make sure we have time for our missionary guests. But let me, let me just say this. I, I, I am very big on the idea of the declaration of Scripture. I am very, I am very for the declaration of Scripture. I'm very big on um, rebuking certain things that need to be rebuked. I am very much uh, about blessing people through the word of God with, with words of blessing. I'm very, I'm very pro uh, strengthening, encouraging myself in the Lord through the word of God. I am very much about the power of the spoken testimony through the word of God. I'm very much about all these things. Um, I'll tell you, and, and I've always been about these things, but here just recently, I feel like the Lord is, is teaching me so much um, about this realm. And I, I'm sure it's preparation for, for the days that are to come. But, um, but I'll tell you, I shared a couple of months ago, the, the Lord has given me a couple of dreams in the past uh, couple of months. And um, in, in both of these dreams, I will not go into any detail whatsoever, but, but I will say this, in both of these dreams, there were, there were demonic figures. In one dream, there was a demonic figure that was trying to, to literally choke me. And in the, the other dream, there were um, ghostly demonic figures just hovering over, over me. And all of a sudden, in, in the breath of a moment, they, they descended and, and they tried to smother me. And in both of these dreams, when the hands went around my neck, and when the demons descended, in the dream, I instinctively began to declare the works of the Lord. I instinctively, instinctively began to declare the word of God, the goodness of God, the attributes of God, the truth that I knew about God. I began to do that over and over again. And I'll tell you, in both of those dreams, the, the spirit or the things that were trying to oppress me were broken off from me. And so there is, I believe emphatically that there is truth in the declaration of scripture, okay? I believe that, I believe that we should pray scripture and do all these things, okay? However, I think it is so important that we understand that the Bible is not a trick to be used, it is not a scheme to be abused. It is not a mode for me to get what I want to get just because I want to get it. The scripture describes itself as a weapon of our warfare. And if you have been around, if you've listened very much in different Christian circles and different things, 
you have definitely seen the word of God be misused and used in ways that it should, it was never intended to be used. And so all I'm saying is that we gotta be very careful before we go declaring and, and all these kind of things, because I'm gonna tell you this, it's, it's like using a weapon the wrong way, right? I can, take, I can take a loaded, chambered and cocked nine millimeter pistol, and I can use the butt of that pistol to hammer a nail, right? But chances are, I may get the job done. I may get what I want ultimately, and the, the nail may go down. But ultimately, if I hit this thing long enough, it's not going to turn out well for me, right? Because the bullet's going to fire and it's going gonna, it's gonna to impale me, okay? And I want to say that when we use the word of God in ways that we should not use the word of God, there may be times where we see results, but results do not always mean rightness, if that makes sense, okay? And so I think we just got to be real careful. I'll give you a quick uh, illustration of this. I think some of the disciples fell into this trap, right? Uh, you remember uh, James and John were walking with Jesus and the Samaritans were like, we don't want Jesus to come into our town. And so the boys are over there offended. Jesus is moving on to Jerusalem. The boys are hanging back and they're like, whoa, 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 Lord. Like, they just rejected you. Like, listen, I got an idea. Do you want me to just call fire down from heaven and just kill them all? Like, like in some of the transcripts, this is what they say. Do you want us just to call down fire like Elijah called down fire? So what were they doing in the moment? In the moment, they were saying, Lord, we know in the scriptures what Elijah did. Why can't I just do what Elijah did? It's in the Bible, right? But Jesus, the Bible said, rebuked them because he understood that when Elijah called down fire, it was because he should have called down fire. And when they wanted to call down fire, it was a moment they should not have wanted to call down fire, right? So we live in this, this American culture that is so consumed with, um, um, with like this uh, pragmatic way of thinking, right? We always want, we want things in systematic order. We like, and I'm not against that. I'm, I'm full-blooded American. I mean, I'm all about six easy steps to a better marriage and three easy ways to retire when you're 20. I'm all about that kind of stuff, okay? But I'm saying when pragmatism invades the church, all of a sudden you've got people asking the wrong questions. They're saying, this is what the Bible says, does it work instead of should I do it? Does that make sense? Y'all follow me? And I'm, am I making this clear? So we've got to be a people that understand there is a vast difference between can I and should I? right? And, and so when we use scripture, when we use God's word in the way that Jonah used God's word, we've got to make sure that we do it well. Jesus used it well. In the wilderness, he found himself in a pit. He begins to declare the word of God as an act of defense, and God blesses it and delivers him from the pit. The scary part is this, is that if we're not careful when we're using the word of God, we may begin to rebuke storms that God has sent. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. If we're not asking the question, is this something that God has called me to rebuke, I may be working against the Lord when I think I'm working for the Lord, right? This is what a Pharisee said about the disciples. He said, look, he said, fellas, you need to just sit back and watch these guys, let this thing play out. Because if you go about persecuting them, you may think you're working for the Lord when you're actually working against him. And I think that we as believers, we gotta be careful 
Just because something sounds right doesn't mean that it is right. And just because something works doesn't always mean it's the right time or the right place. And so I would just say this, when I use the word of God to quote, when I, when I refer, when I pray, when I declare the word of God, nine times out of 10, it is to help me remember things that God has spoken. It is to help me remember the goodness of God and the love of God and the, the finished work of Jesus on the cross and my right standing with God in Christ that I'm a son and I'm loved and even when I fail, it's not over. You know, it's, it's to remind me of the goodness of God. Sometimes, I, you know, the word of God comes in because, you know, I, I need to be reminded that, that I'm being tempted right now. There's a way of escape. I'll never forget. I, I'm closing out right here, but I'll never forget this. A, a few years ago, I was, uh, my wife and I were living in Panama City and we went to like a graduate, I went by myself to like a graduation or something like that. I can't remember. It was an outdoor event. And all I remember was it was in the dead of summer in Panama City, Florida which basically means two things. It was very, very hot and it was very, very humid, three things. And people were wearing very little clothing, okay? And I'll never forget for whatever reason, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I remember walking through the stadium and I was just thinking, oh my Lord, do, do people know how to wear clothes anymore? Like, I don't understand why these people have let their wives and their children out of the house wearing the things that they're wearing. Don't they know what the, the effect this has on, on other people and everything? And I'll never forget, I was, I was and again, I'm <laughs> so embarrassed to say this, but I was truly in the moment, I was being tempted, like in a, in a, in a weird way, like almost in an oppressive attack kind of way. It, it was very extreme. And I remember I was, I was walking through and, and son, I just started quoting every scripture I could think of that came to mind. I was walking and I was like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? <laughs> I was like, he who is in me is greater than he is in the world. Uh, David went and slept with his forefathers. You know, Jesus wept. And I, I just started just, just declaring every scripture that I could think of. And I'll tell you, uh, I, again, I know this sounds like pragmatism, that, that it kind of works so that we could do it. That's, that's not really what I'm saying. But I will tell you this, it reminded me of God. And it took my focus off the temptation and the attack. And it set my focus on the things of heaven, not on the things of earth. And so as we wrap up real quick, I'm going to be done here in three minutes. Let me just say this. You can read the rest of the notes. Um, there is no, no way in heaven we'll be able to get to this. But, but let, me just, let me just say this. When we find ourselves in difficult, difficult situations, we can always be sure of two things. Number one when I find myself in situations that are my fault, my doing, I've dug my own pit, I can be sure that God is going to use that as a mode of discipline in my life. Now, to be clear, discipline, divine discipline is not punishment. Divine discipline is development. God wasn't trying to kill Jonah. He was trying to create something in Jonah. He was trying to take some things out of Jonah and put some things inside of Jonah. If he wanted to kill Jonah, he would have crushed the ship or just took the breath out of his lungs. God was not trying to do that. He was not punishing Jonah for his disobedience. He was disciplining Jonah for his disobedience. And there is a vast difference in the two. 
a lot of people will look at Jonah and they will say it was the punishment of God that sent the fish. That was the punishment of God for Jonah to get swallowed. I would look at it and say it was the provision and the protection of God for Jonah so that he did not die in the depths of the ocean. So what I'm saying is this, is that we have to be wise that when we find ourselves in really frustrating or difficult situations, we have to be sure that we are asking the right questions and we are pinning the right tail on the right donkey. We gotta make sure that we are not placing blame in a direction it does not need to be placed and that we are asking really difficult questions and ultimately we are remembering the goodness of God. We're remembering his scripture. We're remembering we're speaking. And in this mode of these things that Jonah does, we find ourselves surely over the course of time coming out of the pit that we so find ourselves in. Next week, we will catch up and probably finish the rest of this, and we will continue on next week. Let me pray for you real quick, and then Pastor Tommy is going to come and introduce to you our missionaries. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. I want to pray. I know I have rushed, Lord, but I want to take 30 seconds here and just settle in and pray that the presence of the Lord will settle over your people. I know that we all will find ourselves, if we're not in a pit now, we will find ourselves in there soon. And I want to ask you, Lord, that the presence of the Lord would be so rich and real with us that you would call to our memory the goodness of God, that although we are dealing with a God, a very supreme being, we are also dealing with a Father who loves us with an everlasting love. So Father, impart that truth to us. Help us to understand it. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.